It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Today we've got a special edition episode for you as we dig a little deeper into the world of Major League Cricket. That's right, the US of A will have their own T20 League this year and we're going to be looking into what it is, where it's come from and why it's happening. My name is Josh Honefinger and I'm joined by Jack Painter who is jumping out of his skin at this latest T20 startup. G'day mate. Hey Josh, how you doing? A lot of a uh, lot of interest here from an Australian perspective, I guess. Uh, we've got um, a lot of involvement, which is kind of what got me intrigued in, in the first place. It's it's like a foreign T Twenty league, and I thought, you know, why is Australia involved? So um, yeah, we've delved into it, and um, hopefully, uh, this will provide a bit of a background for for those American cricket fans, but also Australians looking to follow it uh, when it starts in July. Yeah, so coming up later on this episode is uh, your interview with tournament director Justin Gill, who is actually an Aussie, um, but he's made his way up the ranks. He's done a lot of IPL stuff and now he's heading this tournament. So that's exciting. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Let's get into the crux of it first. Let's just get the basics down, Pat. Um, How many teams? When is it? What is it? And why is it happening? So there's six teams. Uh, We've got the San Francisco Unicorns, which is Creek Victoria's team. Uh, Seattle Orcas, who is paired up with uh, the Daly uh, Capitals. Washington Freedom, who is paired up with New South Wales. The Texas Super Kings, you could probably guess who they're paired up with, uh, Chennai Super Kings in the IPL. MI New York, a a bit of an obvious one there, and the Los Angeles Knight Riders. Uh, So those are the six teams. And the tournament is scheduled to take place from July 13. 230 in Texas. Uh, so it'll be a, a bit of a whirlwind tournament, 18 games in 18 days, mostly played at their new stadium, which is uh, Grand Prairie Stadium, which is a former baseball bar, a former baseball park uh, of the Texas Air Hogs. Uh, they folded in 2020 and now it's been converted into a, a, the league's new home, a 7,200-seat uh, purpose-built stadium for, for cricket. So when you say the Unicorns are Cricket Victoria's team and the Washington Freedom, uh, New South Wales's team, what does that actually mean? So it means, uh, so unlike the, the IPL teams, uh, the investors in San Francisco and Washington, they don't really have experience running a cricket program. So that's where Cree Victoria and Cricket New South Wales come in and they're effectively high-performance partners. So uh, New South Wales will run the cricket program. So they've been tasked with you know recruiting all the, the players, drafting the the local uh, players in the in the MLC draft, uh, installing coaches, you know, uh, training programs, um, physio, sport medicine, that kind of stuff, and and Creek Victoria will do the same for San Francisco. Um, so effectively, their their tasks with uh, building up the cricket program because these uh, investors in those franchises haven't got that experience doing that before. Unlike, say, uh, Chennai Super Kings, who have been running an IPL team for for a long time and they've already got you know the staff and the coaches um, 
involved in their business that can can do that for their new uh, new MLC team. Right, right. And there's a few big names who have already been announced. Uh, do you want to run through um, some of those? And a few of those are from the Australian Align teams as well. Yeah, that's right. So Aaron Finch, the former uh, T20 captain of Australia, and Marcus Stoinis, they'll be heading to San Francisco Unicorns. Mitch Marsh is another one who's heading over, although we're not quite sure, given he's been named in Australia's Ashes squad, whether mm. he'll be able to make the trip over anymore. But uh, him and Quinn de Kock uh, have been uh, picked up by the Seattle or- Seattle Orcas, uh, and Onrik Norkia and uh, Windu Hasarenga, uh, they're going to the Washington Freedom. So they're just a few of the uh, big names so far. Um, we're expecting more uh, in the lead up to the tournament, which starts on July 13, as we mentioned. Um, so stay tuned. Hopefully a few more Australians as well, given the alliance with the BBL and the state-based organizations. So um, chatting with Michael Klinger, who was heavily involved with, with um, setting up the Washington Freedom, he actually went over for the the draft combine, which they held prior to the the draft in March. And he said, you know, um, at least four of their players will hopefully be involved in the MLC, so four New South Wales players heading over. Oh, right. We're not quite sure who they are yet because they haven't been announced, but, um, yeah, stay tuned. There could be a, a fair few Australians in this competition. Well, yeah, I mean, that was going to be my question. With such strong alignment, um, there's obviously a great opportunity there for some of the maybe not the top, top-line T20 players, but maybe the next level down uh, Aussies getting a crack over there. And there's going to be some good opposition as well, as you said, Anrik Nokia, one of the fastest bowlers in the world. And I believe um, the likes of Liam Plunkett, who won a World Cup four years ago, he's also going to be featuring. Yeah, so despite being a, a reigning ODI World Cup champion, that still wasn't enough to get him picked up in the first round. He went in the second round to the San Francisco uni- Unicorns. Uh, we've also got Corey Anderson, who played for uh, New Zealand. He got picked in the... In the first round, he's also going to the Unicorns. So these guys uh, qualify as local players through you know various reasons, holding a passport, um, you know, parents being born in the US. So uh, just allows them to to play as local players. Both of those players were over at the draft combine as well, and they played in a, in a tournament um, sort of leading up to the to the draft as well. So they've got a bit of history there with with USA cricket. Okay, and there's a few Aussies who also qualified as local players, aren't there? There are, yeah, and a couple of these actually played for the USA in various tournaments, World Cup qualification tournaments. So uh, Cameron Gannon from Western Australia, he was the the top pick of the local Australian-American players, if you like, so he went pick 24 to the Seattle side. Cameron Stevenson used to play for Tasmania, Uh, he's been playing with Carlton in Victorian Premier Cricket. He's also played 18 ODIs and four T20s for America. So he was picked 31 to the Texas Super Kings. And then Brody Couch, who's uh, from the Stars in Victoria, he was picked 33 to the Unicorns. So uh, those are the three guys who went uh, as local draftees, I guess, from Australia. And there was also Ian Holland in the in the draft. He's actually born in Wisconsin in the US um, and has played for the US as well. He missed selection. I'm not quite sure how that came about. Might uh, just be down to the depth of talent that um, not all of us are that familiar with in, in the US uh, domestic sort of minor league tournament. But um, he's also playing with Hampshire in county cricket, so that could have been a reason as to why he didn't get picked up in the draft. Well, you mentioned the depth there. I guess my next question is how much cricket is actually played in the USA? 
at the minute? Are there heaps of different leagues that go around and is there a big fan base of cricket? Uh, is this new MLC league going to cater for, you know, an existing fan base that's already there or is it coming in purely to start a spark? I think it's a combination of both, but there has been a bit of a surge in popularity, I guess, with T20 cricket in the States. And there's also a big expat population from uh, the West Indies and Southeast Asian uh, countries, you know, like India's, Pakistan's, um, Sri Lankans, that kind of thing. So a lot of those guys are already playing over there. And there's uh, there's been the minor league, which is coming into its third season. Um, so 26 teams, uh, around 200 matches last year. So plenty of cricket going on. And uh, Justin Gill talks about this later in our interview, but he was surprised when he first headed over there at the amount of cricket that was being played. It was just that it was kind of poorly organized. There was no sort of central structure. Um, there was guys playing in you know, different competitions um, across the country that weren't linked together. So I guess that's one of the challenges with the administration side of things is how do you get it under a central structure and, and that can benefit, you know, every sort of cricketer in the US. So that's one of the challenges they're working through. Another one is infrastructure. They don't really have cricket grounds like we have here in Australia. They've got, you know, baseball parks or soccer fields um, and, you know, the grass is cut at different heights, that kind of thing. So it's an interesting mix. Um, Hopefully, you know, something that can be sort of sorted through in the next couple of years as, as cricket, you know, keeps growing in popularity there. What sort of pitches are we going to get in Texas? Are they going to be hard and fast like Perth or are they going to be a bit slow and crumbly like the subcontinent? What are we going to get? <laughs> don't know. No idea. But um, they had sort of six turf cricket fields for the draft combine and they had some pretty good cricket played there, I've been told. So who knows? But um, that's I, I guess that's also one of the ex- things they're looking forward to with the partnership with the Australian organisations in New South Wales and Victoria in that because it's off-season here when they're playing cricket over there, they can kind of collaborate with not just players and coaches but also curators, events ops staff, um, all those kind of day-to-day things that you need to run a high-level cricket team and uh, put on matches. They can kind of get the expertise from, from here and borrow some of the insights to hopefully make the standard of their competitions over there a little bit better. Yeah, and... Why do you think Cricket Victoria and Cricket New South Wales are involved? What are they going to get in return? Are we going to get an influx of American players playing in our local competitions over here? Uh, possibly. It's it's one of the perks, but it's also reciprocated with um, you know chances for local Premier cricketers here to go over there and play in minor league teams in the, in America. So you know, typically we've seen Australians go over to the UK and spend a summer playing over there. They could potentially go to the US and, and play there instead. So there's a bit of that. There's also uh, it's a growth opportunity for both of these states. Um, doesn't really compete with the Australian summer at all. So they're free to go and explore, you mm. know, ways to grow their programs, grow their staff, um, give them experience. At, not that Australia can't offer the same sort of experiences, but it's just a, a new take on things. Um, they get you know, personal development in, the, in their roles and it's a great way to, to, to build it up uh, without while we're not sort of in season here. If that, if that kind of makes sense, it's, a, it's not like they're one of the IPL franchises that can just go and invest in all these different leagues around the world um, because those other leagues compete with the Big Bash here and um, the state's season here. Well, at the Unplayable podcast, uh, behind Australia and behind the United Kingdom, 
uh, our third most um, listened to by country is the United States. So hello to all our US listeners. And if you are a US listener and you do have a local cricket league or you're going to be jumping on one of these teams, you know, get in contact with us, let us know which of the six franchises you'll be joining. Uh, Jack, are you going to nominate your favourite team before we've even seen a ball bowled or are you going to reserve judgment on that? Uh, I'll reserve judgment. Um, I think that hard to go past the the two Australian sides though, being a Victorian myself. Uh, I'll probably watch the Unicorns uh, closely. They've also got you know, a couple of Victorian players there as well in in Brody Couch and Aaron Finch and then Marcus Stoinis plays for the Stars in the BBL. So hard to go past them, but um, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out and um, how it goes. You know, It's the world's second largest sport uh, by popularity and it's you know the world's largest sports market. So if it takes off in the US, it can only mean good things for cricket. Jack, brilliant recap, but now let's get to the expert on the subject. That's tournament director, Justin Gill. You chatted to him a few weeks ago. And so let's jump straight into your chat now with the Major League Cricket head honcho, Justin Gill. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The summer in Australia might be over, but there's plenty of cricket still ramping up around the world, and one of those places is the United States of America. Yes, Major League Cricket is just a couple of months away, and there's already plenty of Aussies slated to be involved. We're joined today by a very special guest. It's the tournament director of the MLC, Justin Gill, all the way from America. Justin, welcome to the podcast, and it must be starting to feel like it's finally happening. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. Um, yeah, it is a bit real. I think we've got 98 days to go now. Um, so, yeah, much to do. I think um, the draft has made it a bit real, but, um, yeah, this thing's happening. And talk us through uh, your involvement, Tournament Director of Major League Cricket. Uh, how long have you been involved with uh, the MLC? Yeah, MLC is a little bit different to a conventional cricket setup. We're, we're a startup based in Silicon Valley in uh, San Francisco, uh, so it's a bit different to start with. I've been here three years now. I think I was employee number four, um, and we've been all build, building up leading to this moment now for MLC, so doing a lot of the unsexy stuff. Obviously, cricket and America don't necessarily go together. While there is a rich history here, it's not two things that sort of go hand in hand. So we've been spending a lot of time building up for this. Um, yeah, it's a bit different from my um, my previous sort of gigs. I've come from from IPL and, and all sorts of other cricket events and to, to land here in America where cricket's a little bit um, different. Uh, it's certainly been a, been a ride. 
and employee number four, how many employees have you got now? And uh, it must all sort of be ramping up. Yeah, I think we're at about 16 or 17 now. We probably need about 50, though, to be doing what we're doing. If you look at what's required here, I think infrastructure is the biggest challenge we have, and it's taken an awful lot to to get to this point. So our stadium in Dallas is really close. It's just how you look on the on the cams now and the, the concrete's been poured in some of the seats today, which is exciting. Um, so, yeah, we've got we've got 16 staff. We're spread across the country. Uh, headquarters in, in San Francisco. Uh, we'll soon move that base to Dallas, probably where our first stadium of, of hopefully many more is. And tell us a little bit about, bit about your journey. I see you've worked in the, the IPL, other cricket events around the world. Yeah, um, I yeah, I had the fortune of, of working on IPL. I think I did eight seasons in the end. So I was sitting in the BCCI office, which was um, never a dull moment in there. And of course, IPL is is a huge event, you know. And I think we're much more aware of it in Australia now, given the last few seasons and the broadcast and all that sort of stuff, and the prominence of Australian players. So yeah, to be part of that circus on Sundays and the scale of it um, was pretty amazing. You know, also the fortunate experience of working in, you know, in the UK on, on some different cricket events and through Dubai and stuff like that. So I've seen a lot of different venues and um, and cricket around the world and the chance to, to try and bring it to a whole new market um, was a great challenge really. Coincidentally, at the same time, um, I met an American lady who is now my wife uh, and that was what led me on the pathway back to to the USA. Am I right in saying you're, you're from Australia and uh, sort of grew up in Australia? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, born in Canberra, uh, mum and dad are based in Wagga, so I spent a fair bit of time there. Um, was never a great cricketer. Loved the game, obviously, but uh, sort of trundled around in lower grades. And wasn't until I moved to England in 2010, I really took the opportunity to to work in cricket, and that was a bit of a bit of a journey. And um, my first job was actually as a kit man with the England cricket team, which, as an Australian growing up, there's that visceral, you know dislike and trust of the England team to be all of a sudden wearing a, a you know a tracksuit and doing Kevin Peterson's laundry was quite humbling. So that was the start of a, of a journey in 2010 and um, yeah, it leads me here to, to Major League Cricket and there's also, you know, a big sort of, I guess, Australian influence here. A lot of our team are Australian and, you know, there's an association with two teams, I guess we'll talk about shortly in, in Victoria, New South Wales as well, um, coaching staff and things like that. So the ecosystem in America is is very much at the moment based on on expats, and Australia plays a big part of that. How do you assess the, the progress of the MLC so far? It's been, as you say, a journey, but it's getting to a point where you know it's starting to to come to life, and we're seeing you know players get drafted and you know teams taking shape. Yeah, it's only been the last couple of weeks, I guess. The buzz has sort of um, really got a bit louder, and that was in the back of our draft, which was at NASA, which is a really cool event. That was our domestic draft. Uh, we've got six teams. It's T20 format, obviously. And uh, in terms of um, what we've been doing to get to that point, when I first got to America, I was pretty actually pleasantly surprised at how good the cricket was here. There literally is thousands of leagues played across the country. What I was probably you know most disappointed or shocked at was you know the infrastructure and where we play. You know, a lot of it is um, soccer fields. You know, it's baseball diamonds which aren't perfect. It's guys diving around and. And, you know, you've got no faith in the outfield or councils that couldn't cut the grass any lower because baseball is this height. So it's taken, as I say, three years to, to try and build a domestic program, working with, you know, USA Cricket, the governing body here, working with the local leagues to try and build a pathway to the national team and to really give our domestic players the best chance. So when Major League comes around, 
it's got to be about the cricket. The cricket's got to be a good product. So, you know, we can bring Vinci and we can bring all the boys across, but if the domestic players aren't up to it, it won't work. We're really confident that, you know, we've spent these three years building up our domestic program. So the strength of the game from day one is going to be really good. Um, so people around the world will tune in and they'll see, you know, a great broadcast. They'll see it. It's going to look a little different. You know, we've taken a minor league baseball stadium and we've taken out the foul ball lines and the seats and we've dropped a cricket ground in the middle of it. So it's going to be representative of what cricket in America is. It's a, it's a new sport fundamentally. You mentioned the infrastructure stuff. You've talked about it previously as being the biggest challenge. I guess we'll get into it now. How, how, do, you, how do you fix it? Because a lot of uh, these cities are established cities in America. How do you find a spot for a cricket ground and is it converting these uh, unused or baseball pitches into integrated grounds or how do you find sort of new land for, a, for an oval shape? It's quite different to, you know, the, the shape of grounds they play on in other sports there. Yeah, it's really unique here. You know, it turns out it's also expensive and it takes a long time to build stadiums. Who, who would have thought? So um, it's been a challenge, no doubt. Um, you know, the process to identify that space, as you say, um, is a, a long one. The, the size of ground we need in a, in a location, you know, real estate's not cheap in a lot of these places. So, you know, conversion is one way to do it. And the minor league baseball stadium we've taken over in um, in Dallas, Airhog Stadium, it's formerly known as uh, the Texas Airhogs, uh, is one way to do it. Ideally, you know, we'll get to a world where we can build from scratch, but it does take a big bit of work. So we're working with a couple of universities across the country to, to look at a joint venture in terms of a baseball and cricket dimensions aren't quite right so we need a, a big bit of space behind the home wall we can we can knock out so we're certainly getting there and that's been a challenge you know if you're a, an mls or an mlr you can come here and you can drop into existing infrastructure in some ways you know as a as a kid coming from canberra and Wagga, i look at the high schools here and the facilities they have the sports are just incredible like it, it really blows my mind that you know where I am right now in northwest Indiana, the high school here and the population is, is not huge. It's probably equivalent to a lot of NRL or AFL facilities there in Australia. And this is a you know a small high school. So I think, you know, in terms of facilities, there's an expectation here in America that we need to do it properly as well, which, you know, also takes time and money. So it's it is a slow burn. It's gonna take us a while. You know, I'm hoping within three years we can sort of get to a place where our teams can play home and away. That's the other way we can grow the game because while there's a huge market here for cricket now, and that's mainly expats, I think the opportunity, you know, to convert new people to the game is huge. You know, I'm a bit biased and, and I love cricket, but I also love baseball. But baseball's pretty slow. You know, they go for about the same same amount of time, a T20 in a baseball game. You know, we're scoring 180, 200, and that could be 2 nothing. So I think there's some really good, you know, good ways we can convert to a – American people, but they also have you know, a very sophisticated sports consumer. So they have an expectation when they come to a stadium as well what that experience is going to be like. So we need to try and replicate that as soon as we can. As you touched on before, cricket's got a proud history in America. They played the first international match in 1844 against Canada, I think it was. And Great stat. We, we use that a lot. That's solid <laughs> research. <laughs> and, I mean, like there's been sort of leagues that have tried to sort of get going, I guess, over time. Why sort of now is, is the right time for, for Major League Cricket and, and why uh, do you think – the environment's right for this this competition to take off. Yeah, we get, get that a question, Lion. It's a, it's a really good question because it has been tried and failed at this scale before. I think 
previous attempts haven't sort of started at the grassroots level to try and build this domestic structure up. It's come and drop in. And, you know, the All-Stars where uh, Warney and Tendulkar came and played some exhibition games was great, you know, and that was a great way to see your heroes. But it was playing in a baseball stadium. It wasn't necessarily representing it of what, what cricket was. So I think, you know, the level of investment we have, you know, being privately funded out of Silicon Valley, you know, you've got some pretty high net worth individuals, you know, the, the guys like the CEOs of Microsoft and Adobe's and all these guys are, are personally invested in this. We've formed an association with four IPL teams. You know, we've got two high performance partners in in New South Wales and Victoria that, that can really add to that cricket. So I think the combination of that in terms of cricket experience, in terms of, you know, investment, um, I just think as well, you know, if it doesn't happen now, it's it's not going to happen. Cricket in this country, for so many years, the word potential has been bandied around. It's a terrible word when it's not used, and I, I think we haven't fulfilled that to now, and that's been on for many reasons. But I think right now the timing is right and everything's coming together at the same time. So, yeah, if it doesn't work now, well, A, I'm out of a job, but I, I'm also I worry about the future because I think there's been so many false dawns here. It's quite a big market. I think thirty million was a was a figure getting around of cricket fans in in America. It might be you know a little bit uh, less, a little bit more. I'm not too sure how you'd research that. Yeah, I, think it, it, I think it depends which sales deck you uh, you listen to or you look at. You're right, but I mean if you look at the second largest sport in the world, and it's certainly the largest sporting media market in the world. If we can get those two combined. Absolutely. I think if you look at the on the TV rights market, I mean, the, the money that's paid for TV rights and cricket out of America, I think it's the third or fourth biggest in the world already. So that shows us that there's a viewing population here already. I think, you know, what is fantastic for us is the diversity of our current fan base. There is a lot of South Asian, Indian, Pakistani, Afghanistan, and we go all through Sri Lanka and the Middle East down to Australia, South Africa, England on the, the East Coast from where I am, the West Indies population. There really is, you know, an automatic support network um, and we need to be a league, you know, for those guys. And then we also need to try and convert this new market, which is even bigger and, and bolder. So, you know, the World Cup is joint hosted here next year with the West Indies. So there's another chance to, to showcase the game to a wider um, following and you know we hope we'll probably get 19 or 20 matches here in the USA hopefully by by the look of it there's a really big push to have you know the LA Olympics have cricket in 2028 so I think the progression for the the sport here is, is really a quick one you know I've got a big belief in the USA national team you know if, if we get the the existing guys there's some really good players there we look at the, the current crop of juniors coming through if we can get them some great coaching some great resources I think there's no reason why these teams can't be competitive you know, really quickly. Do you look at um, using those, obviously, the Olympics would be great. That'd be a great boost for cricket in the country, uh, the World Cup as, as well. How, how do you sort of get the young kids to take up uh, cricket instead of, you know, baseball, throwing a baseball around or, a, you know, uh, gridiron football? How do you sort of tap into that, that new market at, at a young age in America? Yeah, it's, it's really, really tough. <laughs> um, the first thing, I guess, is to, to give it a progression. So there is a, you know, to, to want of a better word, there is a career or a future in it. I mean, American sport and, and schools are very different to the rest of the world. So in terms of junior sport and college sport, high school sport here are, are everything. So I think a longer-term play is obviously to get cricket into some some schools and look at scholarships and things like that. So I think that's something we're definitely invested in on USA Cricket is as well. And that's a slow burn though. I mean, none of this is going to happen overnight, but I think we all recognise that, 
you know, given the size of the population, um, if, if we, it wouldn't take much to convert some of those, you know, juniors in. I say the, the current crop of under-19s we have here, really good players, 17, 15s, really good. So there is a, there's a, a private academy network and a volunteer network across the country that just that needs help and that will come from exposure, that will come from growing the game and growing, you know, cricket. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough tough question, but I I think it's achievable. It's going to take all stakeholders working together, though. There's a, been a proliferation of these T20 tournaments. What sort of advantage does the MLC have compared to you know your South Africa leagues and your you know, UAE leagues? Yeah, it always sounds a bit rich coming from a guy who's trying to start a new tournament. But I think we all agree there's sort of there's, there's too much cricket at the moment. I think the advantage we have, and there's a couple. I think you know our summer. Yeah, we can play cricket a lot of the year round, depending where in the country you are. Um, in the middle of here where I am now, or in the in the east, you know, we got a lot of weather. But down in Florida or LA, you've, you've got a longer season. Fundamentally, though, our summer is the opposite to a, a southern hemisphere summer. So really, it's the it's the UK that we're going alongside. So that window helps. I just genuinely think though that the the scale of this market in terms of commercial opportunity, you know sponsors and then broadcasts you know that will be able to drive a really competitive salary cap and we're there from day one so i think the challenge if you look at you know around that christmas time where it was this this year was weird and you know better than most but if you had big bash and then there was the sat 20 there was the uae t20 going with nepal and you know all these ones at the same time competing with the same players bangladesh so i think we've got that clear window you know, I think an advantage we have, and this isn't necessarily to cricket, but it is to like an MLS or an MLR who are at different stages of their development. So we can generally get some of the best players in the world for two or three weeks to come over, you know, and play some really good cricket. And, you know, as a kid growing up, and I'm sure you're the same, you know, we're pretty heavily influenced by American sport and culture. So I think there's also a degree of curiosity about cricket in this market and players are no different to us. They're quite keen to come and see and do something new. So yeah, I think that's probably, you know, our window and just the potential of growth we have. I guess uh, you mentioned before the four IPL franchises have teamed up with with, with four other clubs. Then we've got Cree Victoria with the San Francisco Unicorns and also Cree New South Wales with the Washington Freedom. Go Corns. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, Cree Victoria and Cree New South Wales you know, can't sort of offer the financial, I guess, a support that an IPL franchise might be able to. But what do the the two Australian organisations bring to the table that uh, will help get the MLC on its feet and particularly those clubs, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And our model's a little bit um, different to some of the other franchises in the world. We've had these Series A investors from the start, someone like KKR, um, the Kukana Knight Riders were here very, very first of all, so they wholly own their franchise. Somewhere like Washington and um, San Francisco where the guys are partnered, we thought it was really important that while these successful businessmen who have you know invested in, and believe in this journey are really good at, at business probably not so good at running a high performance cricket team because they haven't done it before so that was you know where we our thinking was how do we get in this cricket expertise um new south wales came about first and we've been talking to them for a while i think it, it goes a bit beyond mlc i think you know, those teams and, and most sporting organisations in Australia see this, realise that a lot of the growth is also offshore. So there's a, an, another way for them to sort of expand their footprint in a in a global cricket world, which is changing, you know, rapidly all the time. Um, so, you know, absolutely from a, a high performance, you know, it gives us access to coaches and players. But I think importantly for us as well, I think it opens up opportunities 
you know, not just commercially while they're there. I mean, there's no reason why we can't have some touring teams come out and, and do some tri-series and things like that. I think there's a really important sort of knowledge sharing, well, for us in terms of sending our younger guys over. You know, I really think some of our, our younger players could benefit for, you know, six or eight weeks or a season in great cricket. That's really going to elevate their cricket, being around better cricketers. So I think that's one of the appeals for us with the Australian market. The season works nicely for that. Um, the same as coaching staff. Uh, I think the same as you look at beyond that, you know, we look at curators, we look at, you know, event ops staff, you know, I, I need teams. So that summer sort of works nicely, whereas a lot of six or seven months jobs there, they can come over here for a few months. So that was also the thinking. It wasn't just Major League Cricket. It's a bit beyond that. And I was talking to, to Michael Klinger, who's heavily involved in the uh, the Washington Freedom and setting that up the other day. It's, it's I guess it's also an opportunity for people in these organisations because the Cricket New South Wales has been around for you know, 130 odd, odd years. It's an opportunity for them to sort of get their teeth into to starting up a new a new club and a new franchise and, and bringing in players and uh, growing the game that way, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And so Maxi was out. We had a combine before the draft. So that was, you know, we had our fast bowlers come in. It's the start of our season. So Loeb managed through that and had some games. So he was out. Um, ben Rora was out. Graham Manu was out. And then Nick Cummins came out for the draft. So, you know, it was it was quite surreal there. We're sitting in Houston in the middle of nowhere, this, you know, six turf cricket fields, just thinking, you know, we could be anywhere in the world here, but we're all together Australians here in in Houston, which is quite bizarre. Um, so, yeah, I, it's been a learning curve for them as well, pretty a steep one. When you come into, you know, when you come from somewhere like the Big Bash, which is now well-established, a really well-run, well-organised, promoted, defined, to something a bit new and unknown like this. I think there is a degree of certainly excitement. They had to get their head around the domestic players we have here and what their, you know, their skills were, where their advantages are, what the disadvantages are, and how you combine that with, you know, the international players that are on talent to, to get a really competitive squad. So, yeah, I think absolutely um, that's, the, that's the first piece. But I think there are also going to be some commercial opportunities that come out yeah, in terms of, you know, touring and sponsors and joint things like that. I guess uh, in, in terms of that, you know, how important has been that uh, that buy-in from the IPL uh, franchises as well? It's quite a big, it's the biggest market, obviously, in the world uh, sport for, for not just cricket, but I guess world sport as well. And to have them on board since the initial phases, that must have been a really important aspect of getting the league off the ground. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've been really lucky that we've actually had support from all around the world. There's no shortage of, of people sort of that, that want to get in, which is it's a lovely problem to have, but it's still a problem. So we've been pretty selective in who we partner with. Um, I think India, absolutely, the IPL teams opens up, you know, a market there in terms of commercially. Um, you know, some of the time zones here are okay back to India. Um, but I think fundamentally, you know, this needs to be, you know, Major League Cricket is an American product. So we don't want to become an extension of the IPL, which is why there's another two, you know, teams outside that. I think it's very important this league establishes its own credibility. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the commercial realities dictate that a lot of the, the cricket world money is coming out of India now. So, you know, if we can have ties to that, if we can lean on on their experience, their ability to contract players, you know, that's that's a win for both of us. You know, they also see the growth in terms of, you know, their their sponsors and partners and also their fan base through through this country as well because there is really big pockets of, of, you know, cricket supporters here and IPL supporters here already. And the draft as well, strictly sort of domestic draft, um, that must have been cool. It's not something we've necessarily seen 
uh, in cricket before. Uh, you know, we've got a draft here in the BBL, but it's just overseas players. The IPL has has everyone in the auction. Um, the hundred has sort of everyone as well, I guess. But uh, that must have been a pretty cool experience to see not only the best. Uh, local talent, but having you know people coming in and, and selecting their their best players and, and going sort of through that process. Yeah, our model generally is a bit different, and I'm not going to say we're disruptive because again, that's a terrible you know San Francisco term. But I think it's really important we sort of embrace our Americanness. A lot of people think it's a bad thing, but you know I, I'm okay to take some of the best of American sport, and I'm okay to do things a little bit different to what we've done in cricket. I think sometimes we're a bit formulaic, and we always do it these ways. So, you know, our model for now, and this could change, is, you know, the draft system is very much alive and well here. If you see an NBA or, a, you know, NFL draft is part of the culture here, which is, you know, we started a combine uh, and that was, you know, as much to, to expose the guys to, to the scouts from all these teams because they weren't sure, you know, much about them. It's good to see them in the flesh. Um, so the draft, yeah, the draft was great. So it was for domestic players, you know, the model for international um, teams year one is that the teams are contracting all their international players directly. So that's happening now. We've announced some and in the next few weeks you'll you'll hear a lot more about big names coming out. Um, there'll be a lot more Australians coming over, I'm pretty confident. Um, so that's a really important part of it because, honestly, that's what's going to move the, the dial internationally and get us exposure. It's all these, these guys at the top end because people, you know, are interested to hear about that. Um, I think what they will be pleasantly surprised at you know, a lot of our domestic players are guys who are like me, you know, have been living in the, in the States for a few years now who have settled here. You know, this is my home. You know, these guys have come in. They were either, a, you know, an international player at their in their country of birth or a, a really good first-class player for whatever reason, whether it was politics, they weren't good enough at the time, you know, injury, all these things. They didn't quite get to the peak of their career and they've come here for a second chance and that's, you know, a lot of what America was built on anyway. So there's some really nice stories there. These guys are really good cricketers and they're going to form alongside with, you know, uh, American-born players, this domestic, you know, talent pool, which I think, you know, people are really going to be pleasantly surprised when they see some of the names here. The name of the league as well as, you know, very American. Yeah, we run into a couple of, couple of issues with our friends over at MLB, but we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> you have announced a couple of uh, big names, specifically Australians. We've got Aaron Finch, uh, Marcus Stoinis, Mitch Marsh. Uh, we've got Quinton de Kock, Henrik uh, Norkier from South Africa, and then uh, Hasaranga from Sri Lanka. Who, any tips on who else we can expect to be named in the, in the coming weeks? Oh, I literally can't. If we're recording this on Monday, I probably <laughs> could. But there is going to be some more Australians named very shortly, um, and there'll be some more from all around the, the cricket world. I think we're covering all, you know, test players playing nations and then beyond that as well. So, you know, when we said we were trying to get some of the best players in the world, I'm very confident we're going to we're gonna do that. Um, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be quite surreal sitting there when the first ball is bowled in the middle of Dallas when, you know, you see the level of, of players there. Um, yeah, can't wait. Very exciting times. And, and these deals are probably going on as well at the moment. But in terms of broadcast arrangements, you know, will we be able to watch in Australia? And I'm guessing it'll be broadcast around the world as well. Yeah, we're literally currently, you know, on a roadshow with all the rights. Ideally, hope we'll show it in Australia. And, you know, if I had my way, then, you know, I can't control much, but I can control a few things. And I'd love to be able to show it back in Australia. We've had a, a lot of interest back there. And I genuinely think, you know, with the level of Australian players coming and, you know, a couple of state associations heavily involved, you know, and some good cricket. I don't see why it wouldn't be successful. So, yeah, no, absolutely talking to broadcasters now. If anyone uh, there at KO is listening or any of these uh, stations wants to reach out, 
um, feel free. But yeah, no, we'll be we'll be globally. We're, we're you know tr- obviously the USA is a key domestic market, and that's the way we can reach some new fans, and then through the subcontinent as well in terms of that massive reach. So. In fact, that you know, if I just use the draft as an example, we were on Geo in India. I think we went through Bangladesh, Pakistan. You know, so that we're already getting really big numbers. In fact, minor league cricket, the final last year, which um, minor leagues are twenty seventeen. You know, domestic T twenty that we've we've built from scratch. Basically, the viewership on that was literally in the millions for our final there. So yeah, I, I think um, in terms of globally, people are certainly watching um, and we hope to put on a good show and I'll be disappointed if you can't see it there in Australia. And, and domestically as well, you've got Willow TV over there that broadcasts, you know, cricket from around the world. How, how do you sort of go getting uh, cut through onto to mainstream channels? Yeah, it's tough and it's it's a thing we're, we're working at now and the, the pay TV model here is a little different and the fragmentation is happening. I think it's our, our goal is to get it as mainstream as we possibly can to, to show as many people as we possibly can. So that's the the path we're going down, and we're talking to all the major broadcasters now. I think uh, again, it's not going to happen overnight. But e- even at the combine, we had you know Good Morning America come out and, and film some segments for for later in in the month. And there really is a genuine interest amongst people generally. When you know, I can usually predict the conversation. Oh, cricket, you know, and, and it's a it's a thirty or forty seconds sort of the same questions, and we're we're getting the pretty good at the spiel. But there's a genuine interest in in this new game because people have heard of it. They know it's played with a bat and ball and they know it's big, but they don't really know exactly what it is. So, you know, part of our job is to, to educate them and you know, the broadcast deal and, you know, our digital and social platforms are so important in that. Very exciting times. And I guess apart from successfully delivering a first season, what's sort of next for cricket in the US, a T20 World Cup on the horizon, Olympics uh, pushing for that? Uh, where can cricket go in in the US? Yeah, look, I think, you know, let's let's be realistic here, one. If we can get a, a really solid major league, some really good cricket, some high scoring, some close matches and just show that, you know, this is going to work, a proof of concept, I think the growth can be really quick from there. Uh, I think that will flow on, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, I think American cities will want to know more about it and that will help our expansion plans and building stadiums and things like that. So, yeah, I think let's get six teams right. We get them to a home and away series. I think the USA national team, I really think that can be representative of, you know, of the USA at some point in the future and be really competitive. I think that's also another way to bring some more people in because it is a pretty patriotic nation as all the all the nations around the world are. But in terms of a national team, you really there's not that many national teams they can get behind, you know, week in, week out or regularly, you know, outside of Olympics and things like that. And the women's soccer team is probably the, the best example which really galvanises people in fact, uh, they recently had a World Baseball Classic and, and lost to Japan in the final. But the buzz around that, with America doing well um, and being competitive, was fantastic. So, I, you know, my hope is that we can get the national team to to that point as well, and that will help drive competitive into a World Cup. You know, we've had no shortage of, of nations want to come and, and tour here, and you know, either on the way to the West Indies or the way back, or just stand alone. So I think now that we get more infrastructure, you know, touring teams will really want to come and play here as well. So I think that will also increase the exposure of the game. Well, Justin, thank you very much for joining us here at the Unplayable Podcast. As you mentioned, not long to go now until the first ball is bowled on July 13 in Dallas. It's very exciting times for cricket in America and across the world, and there's plenty of Australian involvement as well. So thank you for your time to talk us through the new league. All the best with the season, and we're looking forward to watching it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jack. We hope to see you out here soon.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.